you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John this morning. We're going to read portions of John 19 and portions of John 20 as we consider the resurrection this morning. I'm going to begin with John 19, verse 38. Read through verse 10 of chapter 20 and then skip down to verse 19 of chapter 20 to read through verse 29. This is always give careful hearing to the reading of this portion of God's holy and inspired word. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That is John, by the way, the author of this gospel, who never uses his own name. And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not yet understand the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now to verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I also send you. Excuse me. Rig, I'm some water. (coughs) 
rest of my text for me. <clears throat> Can I get over the verse 19? Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Go through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later... His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him again, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you. Thank God for helpers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your for your word and for its truth. We thank you that it is a living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for the glory of the resurrection the way we've been able to read about it this morning and the details of it and people who were impacted by it. As we look at them this morning, I pray for grace for us that we would see the resurrection ourselves in a fresh and new light. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Easter Sunday, you know, is all about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We do believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And the reason we believe it is because the Bible teaches it. And not only does the Bible teach the bodily resurrection, but it also teaches that it is the foundation of our faith. You see, everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did hinges upon the reality of the resurrection. And that includes the crucifixion. If Jesus' body decayed in the grave and he was nothing more than another martyr who died for his beliefs not the savior who died to atone for the sins of his people as we've seen already in first corinthians 15 paul stresses there the importance of the resurrection that's the passage we read really both in the call to worship and in our unison reading earlier you know, there Jesus says, matter, or Paul says, matter of factly, that Jesus was raised on the third day. And then he goes on to say, we read it earlier, three important things. If Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. That means, look, if Christ has not been raised, what are we doing here? What am I doing this for? It's all in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. It's meaningless. What are you doing here? What are you doing having faith in a dead Savior? If Christ has not been raised, this is all futile. He goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And then if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most to be pitied. And so Easter is important because it is the foundation of our faith and because it is essential to our salvation. You see, the crucifixion and the resurrection go together. In Romans 4.25, Paul says, He was delivered over for our transgressions, and He was raised for our justification. In Romans 10, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's how essential the crucifixion and the resurrection are. He was crucified and he was raised. He died to make atonement for our sin. He was raised to accomplish our justification. Now the story of the resurrection is familiar to all of you. You know how on that first day of the week, some of the women followers of Jesus, a little pat on the back to the women, women followers of Jesus made their way to the tomb. Some gospel writers mention one. Some mention several. There were several. John mentions Mary Magdalene. In our text this morning, she makes her her way to the tomb. And as she and the others approached the tomb, they wondered how they would be able to move the stone away from the opening to the grave. They watched Joseph put the body in the grave and seal it with the stone. But when they arrived at the site, they realized that it had already been accomplished. The stone had already moved away. And then they made the most startling discovery. Not only was the grave open, but the body of Jesus was no longer there. They discovered the resurrection. And they didn't know where, though, someone had moved Jesus' body. See, that's what they initially thought. If you look in chapter 20 in verse 2, Mary Magdalene said, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. If you look also over in verse 13 of chapter 20, she said again, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. However, before the day was done, they began to realize that No one had taken the body of Jesus anywhere. But the Jesus had been raised from the dead just as he said he would be, and he was indeed alive. There are three significant people mentioned in the text that I read this morning from the end of John 19 and the first part of John 20. One of them is Joseph of Arimathea, who took Jesus' body and buried it. Another is the Apostle John, who was one of the first to get to the tomb, to see the empty tomb. The other is the Apostle Thomas, the one we know as Doubting Thomas, who had to be convinced of the reality of the resurrection. 
I want us to look at each of those individuals this morning and their response and their involvement in the resurrection. So there's first Joseph, an interesting man from the town of Arimathea. Joseph was a rich man. He was a Jew. He was a part of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. He was a good and righteous man. He disagreed with the decision of the Jews to have Jesus put to death. You see, as the text says, Joseph had become a disciple. He had come to faith in Jesus. But the text calls him a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Look, you just have to understand the animosity. The Jews, especially the the leading Jews had against Jesus. And if Joseph made known that he was now a disciple of Jesus, then they would have certainly turned against him. But it's clear. Even though he may have been a little uneasy at first, it's clear now that Joseph showed great courage and he went to Pilate to ask for permission to take down the body of Jesus. Even though he was a secret believer to this point, now he exposed himself to great danger by approaching Pilate and asking for the body. Mark, in his account, even says that Joseph got up his courage to go to Pilate. And he went to him and he asked him that he might take away the body of Jesus. Probably because he knew the Sabbath was coming and he didn't want to offend the Jews, Pilate gave Joseph permission to do it. So Joseph came, took the body of Jesus down off the cross, took it away. Now, carrying the corpse of Jesus was more than one man could do. He couldn't do it alone. He had to have some help. And it is, isn't it interesting who that help came from? It came from Nicodemus, the one the text describes as having come to Jesus by night. You know, Nicodemus was the one to whom Jesus said, you must be born again. And it's clear, isn't it? Nicodemus was. And he came to faith in Jesus. And here he is with with Joseph of Arimathea, taking care of the body of Jesus. Now we see in verse 40 of chapter 19 that Joseph took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. You see, the Jews didn't embalm the dead in those days, but they would put aromatic substances around the body. They would wrap the body tightly in linen wrappings to stifle the odor. The amount of spices... 100 pounds, it says, that they put on the body of Jesus was fit for royalty. Royalty would not have received a better treatment in death than this. But because the Sabbath was coming, and that was to be at the start of sundown, Joseph could not complete the task of dealing with the body of Jesus And so he just did what he could and laid it in the tomb. Now, this, as the text says, was not just any tomb. This was, as the text describes, it was a 
new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Other gospel writers make it clear that it was Joseph's own tomb that he had hewn out from the rock for his own use. Text also does say it was handy. It was nearby, which made it easier for them to make that decision to put Jesus in that particular place. But think about Joseph for just a moment. He's kind of one of the forgotten men of the Bible, isn't he? And yet what devotion, what love Joseph showed for Jesus. And I want you to notice, this was for a dead Jesus. This is before the resurrection. Joseph had been so touched by the power of Jesus. His life had been so changed by what Jesus said and what Jesus did that he wanted to care for his body as best he could. Such devotion and such love, even for this Jesus who was dead, how much more should we show devotion and love for a Savior who lives? And the old hymn says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. We serve a risen Savior. Joseph at this moment was serving a dead Savior. We have so much more reason to devote ourselves to Jesus and to love him because he lives. Well, the second person we've come across of significance besides Mary Magdalene in our text is the Apostle John. And John had a special relationship with Jesus, he is, as we saw in the text, the one described as the one whom Jesus loved. We believe the Bible teaches that John and, and Jesus had a very, very close relationship. John, we believe, is the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. John was a humble man. Again, he never uses his own name in his own gospel. And John was one of the few of Jesus' disciples who were at the crucifixion, who witnessed Jesus' death on the cross. In fact, it was to John that Jesus entrusted the care of his own mother. You turn back to, in chapter 19, the verses 26 and 27. When Jesus then saw his mother, this is from the cross now. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved... That's John. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. You see, Jesus had such a close relationship with John and had so much trust in him that he entrusted the care of his own mother to him. Now, it's not surprising then, is it? that John was one of the first to hear about the body of Jesus missing, about the resurrection. When Mary Magdalene saw the stone was rolled away from the tomb, the first thing she wanted to do was go tell someone. And so that's what she did. She ran, ran and she found Peter and she found John and she told them. Now, again, she told them 
They've taken the body of Jesus. I don't know where they laid him. Now, Peter and John were part of what we know as the inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were the closest. They had the most intimate relationship with Jesus. He spent the most time with them. They were with him in his most personal moments. Jesus invested most of himself into those three. And so Mary Magdalene goes to Peter and John to tell them about the body being missing. She ran to tell them, and they ran to see it for themselves. Now, it's clear in the text. John was, ran a little faster than Peter. Maybe Peter was a little like me. Just not able to run very fast. But John runs quickly. We're told in the text in verse 4, the two were running together for a while. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Carol, I need two Kleenex. I'm sorry. You know, a little time out here during the Easter sermon. The Lord has interesting ways of, uh, this is my brother-in-law, by the way. Thank you, Jewel. <laughs> interesting ways of uh, keeping us humble. You know, I thought this was a real great sermon, but I sure am messing it up, aren't I? <laughs> you know, that's what I've learned over the years. It's not the vehicle. It's not the one who brings the message that's important. It's the message. Thank you for your patience. Anyway, the two were running together, and uh, John ran faster than Peter. And uh, when, when John got there, he, he stopped at the entrance, and he looked in. He didn't go in. He was hesitant to go and look for himself. But when Peter got there, Peter, the text says, he, he went running right on into the grave to see. And that's just the difference in their personalities. You can tell by the way John wrote his letter that he was uh, uh, timid a bit. He was reticent. He was humble. And so when he got to the tomb, he just wanted to stand there and look. But Peter was bold, and Peter was impetuous, and he barged right on in to see for himself. And what they saw was important. Look at verse 5. And stooping in, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. Verse 6, and so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and saw the linen wrappings lying there. Now you recall back in verse 40 of chapter 19, that's exactly what the text says that uh, Joseph and Nicodemus did. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices. It was this kind of a, a mummification process where they would take these linen wrappings and they would wrap, wrap the body tightly within them. And when John and Peter looked in the grave, what they saw were the linen wrappings still there. And a face cloth, a separate piece, was folded neatly off to the side. Look at verse 7. 
the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Verse 8, so the other disciple, as John, who had come first come to the tomb, also entered, and he saw, and he believed. Something John saw in that tomb, in that grave, led him to believe that Jesus was risen. Now, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, his friend Lazarus from the dead in John 11, I think gives us insight into this. So flip back, if you will, to John chapter 11 for just a moment. Verse 44. The man, that's Lazarus, who had died, came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus was buried the same way Jesus was. He was bound in these linen wrappings, hand and foot. And, you know, you just have to realize that when Lazarus came walking out of the tomb, it was kind of like this because he was wrapped from head to foot and there was a separate cloth on his head. And so when Peter and John look in the tomb, that's what they see, the linen wrappings and the, and the grave cloth, the head cloth off to the side. Now, I think what convinced John the most was two things. One was, if someone had come and stolen the body of Jesus, they would have done one of two things. They would have either taken the body with the linen wrappings or they would have unwrapped the body and left it in a mess. But they didn't find it that way. They found the linen wrappings lying there and the head cloth neatly folded off to the side. And that seems to be a key in convincing John of the reality of the resurrection. Now, what I want you to notice again is what we find in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 again. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, John couldn't put it all together. He didn't understand it. He didn't know what had happened, but he saw, he saw it and he believed. So John is for us an example of faith. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks so much about faith. If Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. You say we are saved by grace through faith. And here at this moment, John saw and he believed. Now, we don't see the empty tomb except through the eye of faith, through the eye of Scripture that teaches us that Jesus was raised on the third day. And the reality is that his body was not there. 
And you and I are called upon to put our faith there. And as I began earlier in my sermon, that really is the heart of the Christian faith. It is not just your faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, but that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. If you believe in your heart Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. John had that faith. He saw and he believed. If there are any of you here this Easter morning and have not really seen the reality of the resurrection, have not really believed and put your faith and your trust in the living Savior, I encourage you, I call upon you to do that today, to trust him, to believe him, to know that if indeed you call upon him, he will save you from your sins. By the power of his resurrection, he will give you new life as well. Well, there's one other man in our text to whom we turn, and that's Thomas. Poor Thomas. Hmm? He's the one we know as Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that moniker attached to your name? And it's such a misnomer. Call him Doubting Thomas, but he was far from that. It gives the wrong impression. Yes, he doubted for a while, but his doubt turned to faith, and he did believe in the resurrection. Now, Thomas made the mistake of missing a meeting. Not sure why he missed it. Thomas missed a meeting. It was an important meeting because it was a meeting where Jesus made an appearance. It was the evening of the resurrection. It was the evening of the first Easter. And the disciples were gathered together. Notice where they're gathered. It's in the upper room. I talked last week about the importance of the upper room where they had the Last Supper together in the upper room. They gathered together after the resurrection in the upper room. They were there at the upper room uh, on the day of Pentecost. It's an important place in redemptive history. And here they are in this upper room and they're there because they are afraid. They're afraid of the Jews because word had gotten around quickly. What had happened to the body of Jesus? Well, his disciples took it themselves so they could claim that Jesus really had raised from the dead like he said he would. Remember, The Jews paid off the Roman soldiers to say that very thing. To say that what happened was that the disciples came and took the body of Jesus away. And so here the disciples are in the upper room and they are afraid because of the Jews. And Jesus makes an appearance to them. And we're told in verse 22, let me start in verse 21. He said to them, Peace be with you as the Father sent me, I also send you. When he said this, he breathed on them, as he breathed the Holy Spirit on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he went on to say, If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will be, have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. It is interesting that the first lesson Jesus gave after the resurrection is on forgiveness. The very first thing 
Jesus told his disciples after the resurrection was about the importance of forgiveness. After all, Jesus from the cross had forgiven those who had crucified him. After all, Jesus had forgiven the thief on the cross himself. And there would be good reason for the 12 to have animosity toward those who put Jesus to death themselves. But he says, you forgive. Forgive and forgive. Well, we find in verse 24 that Thomas was not with them. Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And, and later, when they saw Thomas, the disciples told him what they had seen and Thomas would not believe it. In fact, he went on to say in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of his nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And that's a declarative statement Thomas made. If I don't see these things, if I don't experience this, I will not believe. Well, Jesus called his bluff. Eight days later, Jesus appeared to the 12 again. This time Thomas was present and Jesus turned straight to Thomas. And he said to him in verse, into verse 26, peace be with you. And then in verse 27, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. No indication Thomas ever touched him. He saw the wounds and he believed. He confessed again, verse 28, Jesus was his Lord and his God. And Thomas was right. Jesus is Lord. You know, we, we, we take Jesus as a whole, not as a part. We take him as a whole. Jesus died on the cross as our Savior. We embrace him as our Savior. We receive him to forgive our sins. But he was raised on the third day as the Lord of life. And if we receive him as Savior, we must also embrace him as Lord. That's what Thomas said. Thomas didn't say, my Savior. He said, my Lord and my God. Because he knew that, the, that Jesus lived and he lived in power and he must give his life to him and to live for him. See, that's what, that's what trusting Jesus means. It's not just an escape route from hell. It's a life of commitment to Christ. You see, believing in the resurrection is a life-changing experience. The same power by which Jesus was raised from the dead is the power that changes you and me, changes our hearts, gives us new hearts and new life. The life-changing, heart-transforming power of the risen Christ is what sustains us. Gives us strength and courage in times of difficulty, of heartache, and the storms and tempests of life. 
It gives us confidence and assurance when we face the reality of death and the prospects of standing before the judgment throne of God. What did we sing earlier? There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the ground,